You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Glad you're with us. Tuesday edition is here. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated will join us and we'll be discussing in about an hour how the NCAA all of a sudden now wants to try to rein in name, image, and likeness. We'll try to talk with Ross about how, in fact, they're going to go about doing that, Chad. It's going to be a crime line, I understand. It's like yeah. a hotline you call in for tips. Well, it's ridiculous. like the tip line with a local uh, TV affiliate. We'll Mar- see. Mark Harris and Trey Wallace will also join us throughout the show from outkick.com. But, Chad, a, a, a treat as we kick things off today. Uh, and I should say, uh, leading us off today, Donnie Baseball uh, joins us. Don Mattingly, Yankees great, former Major League Baseball manager, of course now the bench coach with the Toronto Blue Jays, and an advisor for the Nashville Stars. They are the group trying, efforting, to bring Major League Baseball here to the great state of Tennessee. And Don, it's great to have you on, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, fellas, everything's good. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, I enjoy talking about the possibility of bringing bringing baseball to Nashville. It, it would be uh, it'd be great for I think for the city, for the area, and it's all set up I think for a win win for everyone. So I'm sure Dave Stewart had a big role in this, and and why you're a part of the advisory group. But give us your take on why you wanted to be involved in this. Yeah, Stu's obviously a big part in his vision for for the ownership group and the diversity in that is, I think, kind of lines up with MLB and what's going on uh, with the game. So it's very important in, in the affiliation with uh, the Negro Leagues is a, is a perfect tie-in. Um, and for me, I kind of was like searching out because it, it's uh, it felt like a great opportunity in my mind to be, be able to use my experience to help build something from the beginning and from scratch. And I see what goes on with the hockey in Nashville. You see what's going on with the football team. Uh, The city's growing by leaps and bounds, it seems like, daily. Uh, It's just a good fit. And I think they just show that they're going to be successful there. Um, And it's exciting to be a part of it. Don Madeline joins us on Outkick 360. How quickly do you believe Major League Baseball wants to expand? You know, that's it's probably a question, a better question for Stu. He's probably been more in touch with the commissioner. But I just know from listening and kind of keeping your ear to the ground, uh, they do want to expand. I think they want to get uh, Tampa, their stadium situation. I read a little bit of some, about some, that today. Uh, and then Oakland. I think they got to get those two franchises squared up. And I think everyone would like to expand and get this thing to even – uh, to a point where you have the leagues even, uh, 
for for the way you schedule and everything else. And you're no no stranger to the city of Nashville. You played for the Nashville Sounds. Your hometown is what two and a half, three hours up the road in Evansville, Indiana. So it's not like this is a city as we see Don Mattingly, the Nashville Sound. If you're watching right now, it's not like this is a, a foreign city to you with the city of Nashville and now your involvement with the Stars. No, and to watch the watch the growth, you know, over the years has been amazing. Just driving, you know, through to go to spring training just from the highway is is amazing. But I've had a chance to come back and and talk with some of the guys that are involved uh, with the club. Uh, my foundation that we run out of here at Evansville has um, always got country music involved with it. Uh, and so just, you know, the city feels like home. And I think it was another attraction for me. It felt like, you know, helping to, to, to grow the game, but also to bring it to Nashville or be a part of bringing it to Nashville was really exciting for me. You know, some buzzwords in, in the game of baseball today, but in all the sports, advanced analytics, saber metrics, all of these things. I want to talk a little bit about baseball when you played, baseball now, some similarities and differences. Because when I think about Don Mattingly, the first baseman and the ball player, I think of someone that played in an era where saber metrics sort of played out in your minds. Uh, and you were looking at these things in an advanced way, but it wasn't a computer or an algorithm telling you what to do it was experience it was study that went on am I close to accurate on that with the way you played the game versus the way you coached and managed the game years later yeah I, I think you're you're close and and honestly I think in and I was just on a call this morning with some of the guys from the Blue Jays and we were talking about you know in the past when you as a hitter if a guy had ride or high spin or whatever you would come back to the dugout and say hey this guy's a little sneaky uh, the ball up top kind of jumps at you. And today that would be called ride or a high spin guy. And so you kind of were using that information. It was just something that you learned by being up at the home plate, though, and then talking to other hitters about as they came back. Like what kind of movement does Dave Stewart have on his slider? What's his split doing right that day? Or where we got to start this guy? So it's kind of using what you had to, to learn on the fly the information is incredible today. And so I don't want to bash analytics and what's going on with it. Some of it, I think people get frustrated because it, it goes too far. When you don't see action in the game, people get frustrated when, you know, there's too many strikeouts, not enough action in the game. We're all about launch angle. I mean, with, with the emphasis on that now, <laughs> I'm guessing, I mean, it, I'm sure it wouldn't have changed your swing or would it have changed your swing, Don? I don't think it would have. Uh, I, was, I started off as a line drive guy that hit for average without a lot of power. As maybe my numbers in Nashville, I think I drove in 100, hit 300, but hit six or eight homers, right? So I didn't really hit the ball in the air. Uh, but I think it is important to get the ball in the air. I mean, home runs change games. You know, a three-run homer either puts a game away for you or gets you back in a game that you're down five. All of a sudden, a three-run homer, and we got a ball game. So there's nothing wrong with getting the ball in the air. It's just how you would do it. And I think that's where the rub comes sometimes when they just talk about always the same swing. And, and I think that's where fans get frustrated, where it's like, okay, there's two strikes and nobody's on that side of the field. Let's put the ball in play here. And I think that's where fans get frustrated. Is that a lost art? Was that something that hitters were more adept at doing years ago versus now? Do you see it as something that's going to be – 
coming back into the game because of all the shifts? I think a little bit it's going to come back to to the center. Um, you know, to be quite honest with you, the pitching's probably better now than it ever was. The power in the with the pitching, it makes it harder to put a ball in play. So it's not that easy. Uh, I think the game itself has, you know, for the last probably 10 or 15 years at the high school level, at the college level, uh, has, has tried to uh, imitate the professional game. So when you hear people talking about launch angle and get the ball in the air and don't worry about strikeouts, that's been happening for a long time. So it's going to take a little bit of time if you want to get it back to the middle and put the ball in play. And I think some of the rule changes will help that. You know, you make some real changes uh, to make it easier to do that. It's reported today that Jazz Chisholm of your previous team, the Miami Marlins, is going to move to center field. Clearly a great talent and a great athlete. Do you see him making that move seamlessly? And maybe what are some of the challenges that you know we may not be aware of of going from second base to center field, even if you are a great athlete like he is? Yeah, I think he can do it. Jazz is, like you said, a tremendous athlete and can probably do anything he wants to do and puts his mind to it. Uh, to say it's going to be seamless, I think, is going a little too far. This is the major league, so just being a, a great major league center fielder is not that easy. But some of the little nuances, I think, the communication uh, with the right and left fielder, just dealing with the wall, uh, things like that. Where am I going to throw the ball? I got I got to pre-plan, things like that. But Jazz is a, a talent, and if he puts his mind to it, he can definitely do it. Don Mattingly, our guest, as we lead off Outkick 360. What were the Yankees old-timers days like? And do you have a, a great story that always comes to mind from the legends that you were able to meet and the eras that you were able to be a part of? Oh, they were great. Um, quite honestly, and, and probably not as, as good today because they probably put them in a different locker room. But back in the day, you know, Mickey Mantle would be uh, maybe be your locker mate uh, that day or Yogi Berra or Phil Rizzuto, uh, DiMaggio. I mean, the names kind of go on and on with the Yankees. So that part is something that I, you know, I kind of looked forward to that day. Uh, the one thing uh, that that was kind of funny to me, uh, DiMaggio, when, when that game's going on, they announce, and, and then all of a sudden it's over, and it's like, okay, it's game time, 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And so I didn't really get a chance to say hello to Joe all day long, and I finally got a chance to say hello, and I said, Mr. DiMaggio, you know, just want to say hello, um, you know, because we'd met like the winter before. And I had a 20-game hitting streak, and he jokingly said, why do you want to mess with me, kid? And I was like, uh, <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not really messing with you, Joe. <laughs> I love it in sports when, you know, being a captain still means something. In the NHL, it obviously means something. For the New York Yankees, it definitely means something. Uh, once a captain, always a captain. What What's that feeling like being captain of the New York Yankees and knowing that's something that never really leaves you when you reach that status with that franchise? You know, Honestly, with that, you don't realize – I don't know if you really appreciate it until you're you're done playing. And then you look back and say you were one of, you know, 10, 12, 14, however many it is at this point. Uh, so it's really something that you feel honored by later. When it happens to you, nobody really – they just kind of come to you and say, we're going to 
at least that's the way they did it with me is they come to you and say, Hey, we're going to make you the captain. And I'm like, okay, nobody, no job description, no nothing with that. And and you find out that it's really just about being yourself. They, they chose you for a reason. They felt like you had leadership qualities or you were what, you know, they wanted the franchise to, to symbolize. And so it's truly an honor. Uh, but at the time you're a little bit like, okay, what goes along with this? And you find out it's really just about being yourself uh, and doing what you've always been doing. Do you get tired of hearing about the Hall of Fame, reading about it, answering questions about it, or is it something that you're always fully prepared for and know that it's something you're going to talk about? I'm not even asking about the Hall of Fame. I'm just asking if you're tired about talking about the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely tired of of it. Um, It's just like one of those things that, for me, like I've played all my cards – um, you know, in my mind, I know who I, you know, what kind of player I was. Um, and, you know, I know I didn't play long enough. A lot of guys played 18, 19 years. I played 12 years uh, and retired really to be make sure I raised my kids. So I probably didn't put enough time in to build the numbers. So it is something I get tired of. Do I feel like I can play with those guys in the Hall of Fame? Uh, no doubt in my mind. I feel like I never ran across really anybody that I didn't feel like I could hit. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I believe it, but it, it's not my choice. It just feels like it's in such an uncertain, awkward place, the voting and, and how we approach it now. Uh, because you mentioned the length of the career. I don't even know the criteria. You know, you mentioned guys that have lengthy careers that aren't even getting a, a nod because guy, there are vote, voters, Don, as you well know, who haven't voted in years. And I don't know why they have a vote right like that that's making more news than the guys actually getting to cooperstown yeah i'm not sure about the whole pro honestly i've never really tried to research the process um but i do know i've seen a lot of guys uh or and played against guys that i feel like are hall of famers or great great players that aren't in um you know a guy like dwight evans i mean this guy was a tremendous player with the red sox for years and, and didn't make it uh dale murphy uh, with Atlanta as a guy that I was able to see and, and watch him play is, is pretty amazing. Um, but then you're happy about the guys that they've kind of came back and grabbed. Scott Rowland is, is a guy from our area, just in Jasper, Indiana. And to me, a great, great player. I was so glad to see him get in. So you you see it work, the process works sometimes. Maybe we don't all agree on the, on all the time. Getting that well-deserved nod to the Hall of Fame would certainly change your life and trajectory. Did appearing in an episode of The Simpsons change your life and trajectory at all in terms of your celebrity status when that happened? Probably The Simpsons would change my life more than the Hall of Fame would because you can't go anywhere without hearing about The Simpsons. We traveled to Australia with the Dodgers when I was with those guys, and I heard more about Mattingly, you know, shave those sideburns than anything else or anything to do with my playing career. So, uh, Simpsons definitely changed, uh, changed people's outlook of you. How do they approach you to be a part of that episode? Pretty simple. It, it, and it really, people ask, you know, how is it like to be there and do all this stuff? Like we were all together doing the show. It was simply, they asked if we wanted to be a part of it. Uh, you know, agreed, uh, me and Steve Sachs. I remember we were both with the Yankees at the time. We had an off day. We go down to, we were playing the Angels. We take a car down to L.A., shoot it in about 30 minutes, and we're out of there. 
And so it was pretty simple and and uh, not near as uh, glamorous as it as they've, as they've made it look. Have you thought about what it would be like to manage with a, an owner like Steve Cohen compared to owners who sometimes just refuse to spend? Well, I've seen, uh, I've seen it both sides, right? You know, obviously I play with the Yankees or Mr. Steinbrenner would, would go, you know, try to do that. Uh, was part of the Dodgers uh, in LA when the, the Guggenheim ownership came in. They did a tremendous job in building that franchise. And then in Miami, it was not quite the same. It was a little bit like we got to we got to build this a different way, which is exciting, honestly, uh, to be a part of that and try to build it. It it is definitely a lot harder than the the other way, where you know you have the funds to, if we need a piece or we need a player, uh, that you can go do that. And when you don't, when you like in Miami, I felt like we got to the place where it's like. Hey, give us three more guys, two or three more guys, and we are we are going to be a really good club. And we kind of went the opposite way, and that really hurt us. And that that makes it a lot tougher. Well, and then the, the other rosters you're going against are practically all star rosters now. You know, like they're, they're well, the way they're spending. Yeah, you know, nationally, nationally East is a, is a beast, and and now being in Toronto, which is really exciting with a good young club. Uh, in a great organization, that division, you know, with Boston and the Yankees, uh, Tampa is built differently, but they've been really successful at what they do. How much do you miss playing? Oh man, are you kidding me? Getting out of bed nowadays at 60, you're like, mm, I don't miss that. Trying to, trying to hit. And, uh, some of these guys you got to face today, I'm not sure I miss it, but, uh, uh, I did enjoy playing a lot. And, and had a great time and, and enjoyed that part of my life. Um, but the actual playing part, once you're done, it's like it's been pretty easy. Not easy, but it's like one of those things that's behind you and I'm moving forward. What was your second best sport and how good were you? I thought baseball was my second best sport, oh. to be honest with you. I, I feel like I was a basketball player if I'd have been 6'5". <laughs> but uh, no, basketball, probably my second best sport. Uh being from Indiana, we thought we all, we all thought we could play, and uh, really enjoyed that. And grew up here in Southern Indiana at a time that Bird was coming through high school and things like that. So uh, he gives a he gives that role model to watch. And you had an older brother who played professional football, played in college, played quarterback. How was your arm with the the football? We didn't get to see the arm as much at first base in baseball. How was the football throw for you growing up? Nah, I'd say probably below average, honestly. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite as good as my brother, um, but um, I enjoyed playing. I didn't like getting hit that much. That wasn't really that much fun when that dude comes across <laughs> the line and catches you clean. That wasn't that much fun, uh, but uh, I did enjoy playing. So, and, and now we hope that we see MLB playing in Nashville uh, sooner rather than later. From the advisory role, um, give us an idea of the questions you're being asked um, and, and how your your role will help bring baseball, pro baseball, major league baseball to Nashville. I'd say very similar to the questions you all ask. You okay. know, why why do you want to be involved? Why is Nashville going to be? Why do you think Nashville is going to be a successful franchise? Uh, those type of questions. Uh, and for me, again, it's it's been all about. I felt like just excited about at some point, hopefully bringing baseball to Nashville. 
and being a part of a franchise or an organization that's building from the ground up. I mean, that, and to be working for Stu, uh, and again, just a small part. There's so many different facets to trying to bring a major league team from the ownership side to the probably the real estate development side is, is huge for franchises nowadays. If you've seen some of the new ballparks, the cities they build around them are just incredible with things for families. Um, so that part is a different part of it. And I just look at, love to be able to, you know, be able to help Stu and help, you know, in any way on the baseball side of it uh, to make it successful on that end. Don Mattingly has been our guest. Thank you so much for the time and uh, going some different directions with us here as uh, our first chance to visit with you, hopefully not the last. And the next time you visit Music City, be sure to stop in. We've got some moonshine or uh, some Yeehaw beer for you. And good luck in Toronto also. All right. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, you having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. There's uh, Donnie Baseball. Donnie Don Baseball. I feel like Tom Selleck was a direct ripoff of Donnie Baseball in Mr. Baseball, the movie. It's clear to me, just uh, copyright infringement that they were trying to make him Don Mattingly. I feel like there are only f uh, a handful of people that I recognize that pull off the, mu the mustache. He's one of them. And he you pulls know? off no mustache, as well, we yeah. saw in that interview sure. also. Sure, But that era, like if you had the mustache like Donnie Baseball, <laughs> you were raking. Right? It you was, had it was to. a sign. It no, was you a full-blown sign of all-out machismo masculinity you were hitting seeds if you had a mustache like that as we see with don <laughs> mattingly uh you know burt reynolds i think a tom Selleck. yes i think don mattingly in terms of good mustache uh, i was listening to a podcast recently i'm watching this hbo show the last of us and it blew my mind but someone said the star pedro pascal reminds them of burt reynolds from back in the day and now i can't unsee it oh you see it now because he's got kind of the beard where almost like me the facial hair doesn't grow in right there so it looks like he's got a mustache straight on but it's a beard everywhere else and he looks just like he's got the same burt reynolds type movie star soft-spoken energy about him much and like don mattingly his ability to bridge the different eras like his stories of the the old timers days but also like ted williams once discussed his swing with mattingly on that MLB yeah. Network special, crazy, and and now he's ha had the influence on this era and has the insight there, and hopefully bringing Major League Baseball to Nashville through the Nashville Stars. You can learn more nashvillestars.com uh, for details there. Uh, Chad, coming up, we have the salary cap increase for the NFL. What's that going to mean for certain teams who are already over the cap? And Patrick Mahomes, his father Pat says that the Bears once told them that they were going to draft him and not Mitchell Trubisky back in 2017, how things would have changed. And headlines on the Pro Bowl and how it's, it's, it's turned into a joke as an acc accolade next to the player's name. We'll explain. And all you have to do is look at the AFC quarterback roster currently. It's all coming up on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix.
Oh, kick 360 rolls on. The uh, the NFL, I, I laugh because we had Matt and Leon were discussing Steve Cohen's payroll, right? Yeah. Uh, the NFL... We'd all love to be on Steve Cohen's payroll. <laughs> no doubt. They've, uh, they've announced their salary cap for the upcoming season in 2023. A record, and it's going to continue to grow with the television contracts, streaming rights, Thursday night football, a billion dollar contract a year. $224.8 million is going to be the salary cap for 2023. That's an increase of $16.6 million for each team from this past year, this past season. And, you know, maybe that gives the Baltimore Ravens a little room to work with with Lamar Jackson. There are a number of teams that are already over the projected cap for next year, and I say projected now, reported cap for next year. And... And you look around, and some teams are twenty million over. They can make room by. We're discussing the contracts, Chad, with how you can load up and then front load things so you can get rid of guys without owing them the guarantees, like Watson received in Cleveland. That's what Lamar Jackson wants in Baltimore. Ian Rappaport earlier joined the Pat McAfee show and had this to report on the Ravens franchise QB. Yeah, Rap Sheet, all the tags were released except for the exclusive franchise tag prices. Are there any players that you know right now that will be tagged no matter what, whether it's some guys from the Bills, Lamar Jackson, are there any names there that you know now? Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to be tagged. I, I will exclusive or non-exclusive? So I don't, def- I don't firmly know the answer. My sense is it would be the exclusive. Okay. Because here's why. So yeah. if they give him the non-exclusive tag, then someone can sign Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet and get him with the price of two first rounders. If it's the exclusive tag, it costs Baltimore more. However, if at some point, and I don't think they will, but at some point they ever want to trade him, they set the price. So it'd be two. It'd be more than two first rounders. So if we get the exclusive tag, it basically raises the price in the event of a trade, which I don't think is going to happen. There is a rap report, and you know you can you can read into what they were saying at their presser, right? And surmise that that's going to be where they say two hundred percent chance he's back. We're going to keep him. We're going to build around. At worst, it sounds like they're tagging the guy, which would be fully guaranteed for the upcoming season. That noise you heard in the background, Ian Rappaport at the Senior Bowl. I can mm. tell the stadium in the background. I could even see the Reese's Pieces logos yes, behind it. Yes. So he was on the sideline during some Senior Bowl activities. Um, that's a nice little bit of news to get out of him, just to come right out and say, oh, he's definitely going to get tagged. Um, how do we think Lamar Jackson reacts to the I, franchise tag? It's a ton of money. It's going to end up being about $33 million. But you know what Lamar Jackson ultimately wants. Yeah, oh, the fully guaranteed contract. Fully guaranteed. So uh, something approaching Deshaun Watson money contract. But think about it from this perspective. So this year he can be tagged, and the, the numbers are out where it's it's thirty it's roughly thirty three million for quarterbacks, uh, and it positionally uh, we'll run through that as well. But the I think he's totally fine with it, and here's why: because over the next two years, if he's tagged again. In 2024, well, it's going up by 10%, plus it's the average of the top contracts in the league. That could now include Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, right? So with that in mind, it's going to rise. He could be looking at around 73, 75 million 
over the next two years. And once he signs, that's locked in, and he's got the, the guaranteed money headed his way as the franchise tag player. So he's getting the guarantee for the season. And while it's not the $45 million annually, which is what Deshaun Watson's getting, he's played this out to where he's getting max money no matter what the Ravens want to do. If they don't want to get rid of him, they've got to tag him again. And after you're tagged twice, you can't be tagged again, and he's still young enough to go on and get that type of money as the salaries continue to go up, as salary caps continue to go up. He didn't sign a deal like Josh Allen, which is great. But Allen and Mahomes, which is just crazy uh, length, crazy numbers overall, we will look back on that, and they will be restructuring to get a bump. You know, to, in order to help out their overall salary caps there too. Like this, I mean, he's. I think he's played this well, except for the injuries. The injuries, which yep. again, that's the risk he's taking, and that's also the risk that the the Ravens are taking by kicking the can down the road. Case in point would be Dak Prescott. Dallas franchised him. They, he, uh, uh, the year that he was franchise tag Dak. I'm talking. He only played like five games, and then they renegotiated, uh, went back to the negotiation table, and signed him up to this massive contract. And now they're looking at it going, at least the, from the fan base perspective, from the, the national overall narrative, is Dak going to be the guy that takes them to the Super Bowl? The Cleveland Browns essentially did what Steve Cohen is doing to baseball with that contract. It's angering everyone else for different reasons. Because you can legally go over the cap and pay a luxury mm -hmm. tax in baseball. So Steve Cohen's doing nothing illegal. He's just throwing the whole pay structure so far out of whack with what he's spending with the Mets. And then with what happened with Deshaun Watson, all they did was anger the rest of the league by giving a guy who's accused of all these things that much guaranteed money because now that is the goal for Lamar Jackson and everyone else. Sure. It's a bad, bad situation for every other team. And here's what it's going to lead to. Lamar Jackson's going to be terribly disappointed in what he's offered. And I think that's going to be true everywhere. I think that the Browns will be a major outlier here. This is going to signify better things for some of these big-time young quarterbacks coming up for contracts. But they're not going to get what Deshaun Watson got because there's going to be a course correction because the other owners are going to say, no, we're not doing that. The uh, top tag money in the NFL right now, quarterback, wide receiver, pass rusher, corner. That's where the money is. Now, right below that, offensive line, and you start looking around, Chad, it's, it's secondary. And linebacker is listed here at $2.9 But keep in mind, that's outside linebacker, pass rusher, money. Uh, same money you get at defensive end based on how you're classified there. So... The the roles have changed. Meanwhile, running back, 10, 10 million. And Saquon Barkley reportedly turned down 12 million a year. They paid uh, Derrick Henry here in Nashville for the Titans 14 this past season. You can tag your player. Josh Jacobs comes to mind. They can tag Josh Jacobs for 10 million in, in Vegas if they want. Number that jumps out to me there, linebackers still getting paid very well. $20 million right, on that but that's the pass franchise tag. Aspect. Yeah, because the outside linebacker. Uh, and also, has anyone ever tagged a kicker? I noticed the kicker number up there. I'm uh, trying to yes. think of a franchise kicker that's yes, been franchise tagged. Yes, I, I think uh, uh, it was a Giant or a Jet that was tagged within the last decade. 
Graham Gano, maybe. Maybe maybe in like Lawrence Tynes. Huh. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, but, but just because they wanted to keep around for another year before they developed their own guy, I guess, right? But it, yeah, I mean, you, for five million, Dave, you have the details. Yeah, Robbie Gold got the tag. Robbie Gold, twenty nineteen. Robbie Gold. Robbie Gold's paid off pretty well. Not bad. Pretty good. Was that when he was in Chicago? Who was the di- wasn't Robbie Gold yeah. the, the double doink guy also? With Cody the Bears? Parkey. Cody is that Parkey? Cody Parkey? Okay. Yeah, franchise player. Is that what you're saying? I just remember the Bears kicker uh, hitting the the goalpost. Twice. The Bears reportedly told Pat Mahomes that they were going to draft his son Patrick Mahomes in 2017, and instead they took Trubisky. They said they would take they would take Mahomes ahead of Trubisky. We know how that turned out. Trubisky's a average NFL quarterback. He's won some games. He got paid to go to. Pittsburgh, and he's replaced by their first-round pick. And meanwhile, you have the face of the NFL in Kansas City with Andy Reid. I just love the after-the-fact, just total just shade being thrown mm-hmm. on an entire organization and region that the Bears fans now have to know because Patrick Mahomes, former Major League Baseball playing dad, yep. revealed that you know not only did they make the mistake – of drafting Trubisky, but they actually were going to draft Mahomes and, in fact, told him they were going to do so at one point. Chad, your AFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks, not Patrick Mahomes. He's in the Super Bowl. It's not Joe Burrow. It's not Herbert, who's having a a shoulder surgery, I believe, a clean-out or something. Uh, Your AFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks, Tyler Huntley announced today as a Pro Bowl quarterback representative from the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and Derek Carr, who doesn't own, have a team, his own organization is moving on from him. Uh, will play in this flag football. It, he actually uh, he was joking around about it on Twitter. He's like, I somehow just found out I'm headed to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> he doesn't have to leave Vegas there, um, but he's like, I'll I'll accept it and I will add it on. To, I think the fourth representative. The, the, the league goes through, I mean, one year we tallied this up on, on the show. The league went through over 100 different players before they actually came down to their final game day, quote-unquote, game day roster. And now I don't even know, you know how they're going about selecting these guys based on what it is, this flag football version plus the skill set challenge. Um, there was a day, though, whenever the pineapple next to the bio didn't mean you were a swinger. It meant you were a pro bowler. Could also mean you were a swinger, but also a pro well, it, bowler. But it was the upside down one, right? Yeah, that's right. Upside down pineapple means swinger. Right side up uh, pine, pro pineapple bowler. means pro bowler. And now the status is I, just way different. I want Derek Carr to wear the Rob Lowe photo NFL hat. Yeah. <laughs> that have nothing to do with the Raiders. Just the NFL just jersey. He's just in a straight, like the old, or wear the old bedspread we all had as kids that have every that's NFL awesome. logo on it. You could make a shirt out of that, a jersey that's just patchwork quilt. Every sing- All 32 NFL logos on it with the NFL hat up top. Derek Carr, please make this happen. We got to do this. I'd love it. Chad, it's not all on Tyler Huntley, but the Ravens bowed out of uh, the top spot in the AFC North with Tyler Huntley at quarterback um, towards the end, and he was even banged up towards the end. They were using a couple different guys uh, there at the end. Pro bowler, though. And who knows about this? It who knows about the uh, the actual 
tweaks to the game and how they're doing this, it'll draw between five and eight million because that's what it does. You know, 20 years ago, it was drawing eight million viewers. And last year, it drew five million, which is just crazy. But you put the NFL product on. Uh, one of the highest rating events of the highest rated events of the year is the draft. And that's not even, I mean, that's for the league. And the ball that they play the game, the sport with, is not even present. And it's drawing in millions. And you were telling me earlier that how many people watched the AFC Championship it game was, that was apparently rigged? It was over 55 million. Highest watch conference championship game in the last four years, either conference. And I'm joking Chiefs, about that, but yeah, it was so popular. Uh, people were so disgusted with the, uh, the penalties that they continued to tune in. <laughs> not out. From that game. Well, maybe it was maybe it was that last uh, penalty that was really no, the, the last, breaking yeah. point for Everyone, them. Yeah, <laughs> we had we had one gentleman in our YouTube chat that said, "I'm not watching the Super Bowl. NFL's rigged." And I said, "Not watching the Super Bowl? Huh? That's bold. Interesting. Bold proclamation. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm I'm not going to take it that far. We'll be there uh, next week for the we week will. of in Glendale. Um, Bill Belichick trying to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, reports are he was quote unquote moonlighting. As an offensive play caller this year at points during the season. Um, and there was, a, there was another story I was reading that he did not hire. He would have hired Bill O'Brien last year. But he feared that he was going to be a one and done. Where he was the offensive coordinator. And the, the idea was if we bring in O'Brien, we're, we're still searching for another OC a year from now, which is a little strange based on how they went about it because no one's hiring who he hired a year from now, right? But the, the idea was, oh, he's going to be a head coach in a year, so let's do it this way and see what... Turns out Bill O'Brien is still the right call. And not only Belichick, but Robert Kraft also had some say in that, I'm sure. Do you think it was the Thursday night game that Mac Jones was yelling, throw the effing ball, that it was actually I mean, Bill Belichick that was the play caller that game that he was yelling at? I could see Bill Belichick being kind of a Bud Kilmer from Varsity Blues where he's telling his quarterback, I'm not interested, no more turnovers, <laughs> with two minutes left to play in the half, and he's handing off every time. So maybe that was the night he decided to moonlight as a play caller. Coming up, Nick Sirianni is headed to the Super Bowl and hopefully – his uh, kids will join him at the press conference. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In 30 minutes, Mark Harris of Outkick.com will join us. We'll hit a variety of topics with Mark on things he's written at Outkick.com, but we'll lead off with a story of a 22-year-old basketball coach who has uh, impersonated a 13-year-old player and has since been uh, removed from that position. Fired. This is legit. Like, they impersonating a 13-year-old player and participated in the game. Fired. And uh, also the team not allowed to finish the rest of the season. I don't know how many games they have left, but we'll ask Mark uh, the details of this and his initial reaction when he saw the video. I think it's ridiculous that the whole team now has to just stop well, playing. Well, I guess everyone was in on it, so it's kind of like... 
you know, you're forfeiting the now, rest of all this stuff. Junior right? high basketball, like when I played, it was over like first week of February. So yeah, it may be right. a week left. They may be in the conference right. tournament. Right. And they just can't play in it. Uh, it was usually like, you know, early, mid-February, that seasonal end. Um, but still, remarkable story that anyone who's ever played high school sports, this is the dream to, in your 20s, be a fully grown person and go back and live out your glory days in middle school or high school against middle school or high schoolers. And this young lady did just that. And we'll talk to Mark Harris about it. I love this story. Ross Dellinger will join us in 10 minutes to lead off our number two from Sports Illustrated, senior college football writer, uh, with the story that the uh, NCAA wants to rein in NIL. And I'm fascinated with how they're going to go about trying to do this, given their fear of litigation. Has the Massachusetts governor officially taken over? No, not until this is just July, like, right? This is like plans he's given his subordinates that when he takes over. For step number one. Well, this feels we need to put a hotline out for NIL violators, and we will answer that hotline does it, regularly. This feel like J- uh, Jaden Rashada response in a way. Sure, I mean, I, again, but there's going to be more Jaden Rashadas, and I think that's what they're. But they've always pointed to. Well, we have we got to take a step back. It's on the individual university. It's on the individual conference because we don't want to get sued. And now all of a sudden they're trying to rein in with, with um, guidelines, bylaws. Uh, who's writing this up? Who's leading this initiative? Who's and funding this project? How long is it going to take to investigate this? Because they take forever to investigate anything. Uh, in fact, they normally allow the reporters to do the investigating for them, yes. which is what the sports media has been doing with Rashada specifically. And so here's the other thing: no one cares. No, no. Like from a morality standpoint, not not. An, I mean, I don't know fans well, of Florida's rivals that cared. They just liked the fact that Florida had egg on their face. They weren't mad that they were going to pay Jaden Rashada thirteen point four million right. to play quarterback there. They thought they were overpaying him. Is what they thought. So, it's ridiculous. Chad, uh, cool scene after the NFC Championship game. Eagles coach Nick Sirianni uh, with his uh, kids at the podium and uh, his daughter mimicking and oh, doing so good. Uh, the, the hands, the, the busy hands of, uh, of her dad. And uh, you're the father of two young girls. Yeah. Um, what do you think Evie would do at the podium if... Or on set with us right now, if she were sitting next to you and uh, mimicking Chad Withrow. It's 50-50 with Evie. Depends on the mood. She, there could be some days she'd completely shut down, be a shell of herself, and be real quiet and shy, and kind of, you know, just lurk down in the chair and not say much. Mm-hmm. And other days she might do what Sirianni's daughter did and look like she's doing sign language for the, <laughs> for the broadcast, right? I mean, she is full-on mimicking every word he's saying – and talking so much so that the head coach and her father has to look over and say, you know, please stop that. <laughs> Could see out of the corner of his eye what was going on. I, I love this so much. I also love, I don't know if you've seen that someone posted this, the little boy that he has that's Holding in him. his lap looks just like Brock Purdy in the face. <laughs> and people have put Brock Purdy's jersey oh, on Oh, that's it. awesome. And they've said, I like, seen how, this. you know, how th- this is really – Boy, he did Brock Purdy wrong to make him sit in his lap as his father post game. What the Eagles did to him. I mean, there's there's been some great comedy that's come out of this. Here's the video of Sirianni at the podium. 
Um, you know, each game's a little bit different, but it was great to set the tone there um, and get the lead, right, and get the lead and, and put them behind. Taylor, stop it. Taylor, stop. Taylor, stop. Taylor, Taylor stop. stop it. Taylor, stop it. It does look like Brock Purdy. I mean, she was really uh, – she, she could have done that press conference when I'm watching that. Like, she's probably seen enough you know, of her thinking, hey, I can, I can answer these questions. Remember the woman who was doing sign language, but – She didn't know sign language? Right. She was just doing it and Someone getting – Someone came back and said, like, the whole thing was a farce. <laughs> she didn't know it. This is – you remember, how do you I, took, get that I took sign language as a foreign language but at how, Tennessee. I took American sign language as a foreign language. So you're saying – hang on. You've, uh, I've how, taken a class in American like how, Sign Language. How, how uh, much could you communicate oh, now? Zero. Not even one thing? I mean, thing? I know like A, B, C, D. I, I, I could kind of start E. Okay. I can kind of go with the <laughs> A, B, C. I'm screwing up D, I'm sure. This is E. You're doing it better than that woman This is did. E. Um, but yeah, I, I, your first thing you learn is the, uh, the alphabet. And hey, what but I, then outside of that, based I on mean, that one question, I've learned that you don't know sign language all that well. But somehow, this woman was able to get in front of the media and sign, you know, the the speech that was being given, and no one batted an eye at it until someone trying to I mean, I could tune in it. knew that it was. I could fake it properly, knew probably as well the, as she uh, did. I would get caught quickly by someone that actually knew sign language. But I could take it. Let Maddie Ice uh, sign our show for the rest of the broadcast. Fluent in seven languages is Maddie Ice. Ross Dellinger next. We're talking NCAA and NIL regulations.